You know, my childhood was filled with stories with the Edith Blytons and the Amelia Janes and my famous five, Secret Seven. All of these folks were all around me all the time. And my grandmother was was my storyteller. And that's where my love for stories sort of really came in. And on that note, Sarah, you know, welcome to Project Spark. So, so excited to finally have you here. And I'm super excited to sort of have you unravel you know, the spark behind why you decided to work with children and why you decided to become a storyteller. So welcome again, uh, Sarah. Thank you so much, Smriti. So the first day I heard about Project Spark and I, you know, listened to all the podcasts you were doing, I was like, oh, I wish I could be here one day and see. Very shortly after that, you reached out to me that, you know, come to Project Spark as a guest. And I was so excited. And I went and told everybody at uh, my place that, you know, I've been invited to a podcast and this podcast I've been wanting to do. So I'm very excited to be here. Why don't we very quickly begin? um, Because this is something that I've been wanting to ask you uh, is in terms of why you decided to sort of work with children. Where did that spark really come in from? So it's a very funny story, you know, like, after we finished school I really had nothing to do like all teenagers I didn't know what I would choose and I didn't know where I was so I was a humanities student and my mom sort of just you know told me that why don't you check this faculty out it's called family and community sciences why don't you just go and see it because I didn't want to do arts again I'd been doing it for years years of history years of psychology I didn't want to do it again so I landed up checking out this new space it was called human development and uh, the head of the department was my mom's acquaintance so I went and met her and the first thing I looked outside the college and I saw oh where will I park my car here like there's no place here so that that was that was my first interaction with my department of human development and I think it was like a friend's moment where Rachel says you know I had to change my major because there was no parking by the psychology building so I went I saw the place and I was like hmm, okay very good the faculty had a lot of other courses which are not related to human development and we had to do all of them in our first year so it was dietetics interior designing food science and I was getting attracted to those options more than human development itself. And in the second year, when I had to choose my major, and it was just one day before the selection, and I was like, okay, fine, let me just choose human development. So it was just a whim. And there, this new journey started. At the core of human development was child development. And uh, I never wanted to work with children. I I never veered to the option of working with children. I was not good at the subjects that, you know, we had for children specifically. So sometimes I sit back and wonder, how did I actually land up in early childhood? Because I never wanted to do it. And uh, before my master's finished, I was like, okay, what do I do now? Because now five years of education, I don't know what to do. And one day I just said, okay, I'll become a storyteller. Because I can say stories to any situation. If people ask me for advice, I never give advice. I say a story which comes to my mind and I tell them to think on their own because giving advice is something I don't really want to do. So I realized that I was really good at that. And so why not build on that? So that's how the world of stories opened for me. And then I went to Kathale, the International Academy of Storytelling, and I did my storytelling diploma from there. 
so that's how i came to the world of stories even so working with children very deeply was not there in the air at that time two years post covid i decided i was doing a storytelling session and this lady came up to me and she asked that i have a school i've opened it why don't you work in my school and i said all right the school was for toddlers so it was even before nursery yeah. so the children yeah. are from 18 months to 3 years i said all right okay i'll work and see for a year let me take experience in this and i think that's where the spark working with children it really came out and i was really happy to work with them because they are so pure and innocent at that age just looking at them develop creates that interest in you to start working with them so i think that's how my you know attention came to early childhood wow so you know tell me something so you've dabbled with various aspects of storytelling just in the last few years ever since you decided that it was your route right now how you bringing this alive with sara stories so sara stories started in 2020 and it's evolved over time my definition of what sara stories is really has changed a lot since it began uh in 2020 it was simply a storytelling platform at that time it was online and then i started doing offline sessions i did a couple of sessions even in flea markets storytelling when you know people who had this was a very innovative business actually where this lady had clothes she had made for children based on stories so she asked me you know just as a promotion uh, why don't wow. you tell a story at this flea market where i have my stall so i did that so you know i did a lot of different kind of storytelling experiences as well and after i started working in the school i started realizing the needs of children the kind of things they want at that early age and how education should actually respond to those needs so i decided to broaden my spectrum of um, early childhood and uh, my sara stories venture and i decided to bring in uh, these programs so there was this montessori language program which i started uh, the montessori nature program which i'm building up to start and uh, teaching learning materials for children because at that age they really need sensory learning so all of these programs cater to you know children's senses and how uh, they would develop so for, for example if i have a montessori language program they not only learn the sounds but they also touch the letters in various forms it could be clay it could be sandpaper it could be you know making spellings on a cloth sheet not on a, not in the notebook because in the early years they are not meant to write so sara stories is meant to you know create an environment of learning where learning becomes joyful for children where they learn happily it's like organic growth for them so all my programs are based on that very philosophy and uh, so we had gone to creative guide as a retreat and we had to you know make our purpose statement so my purpose statement that came out was to create a silent revolution of compassion so i believe that even with my education what i am doing is i'm creating compassionate education for children so that you know we are giving them opportunities to learn what they can actually learn not abstract concepts which are very difficult for them to grasp because when i was in school i found science very abstract i i just couldn't understand it and science math these things were way beyond me i i used to feel so how would i give opportunities to children 
what I would give them for them to develop, for them to learn happily and something that they can catch on, something learning that is tangible for them. So that is what my early childhood venture has been from storytelling. It started from storytelling and now it has come to all of this and it's become an all-inclusive brand and still building. You know, in fact, Sarah, I just love what you said, right? Because as a mom of a two and a half year old, and now she goes to a Montessori, by the way, and I can see the world of difference that it's made for that child in terms of her being at the center of everything and doing things her way. What intrigued me a lot more is the whole compassionate aspect. And I can see that a lot of the things that you're doing is around ecological consciousness, right? It seems to be at the core of everything that you're imparting today. So tell me why this is very important to you as an individual, because you need to be passionate about a cause such as ecological consciousness for you to be able to pass it on, even if it is to younger children. So tell me why this is important to you. Yes. So you see human beings, they are very oriented or very interested in survival, right? The basic thing that human beings do is to survive. You can see that from any level. It's funny that we don't consider nature in our survival because nature is the basic of survival even before food shelter clothing i think is nature because our oxygen our first breath comes from trees so when we are losing so much of our ecology when we are you know systematically taking out everything that is in our environment placed as a system so nature works as a system Uh, our trees our wetlands natural water drains natural waterways we are cutting off everything and then we are thinking of survival in other ways it's it's a very i i don't understand this philosophy basically the psychology of people how are we thinking of survival if we don't think of this very big aspect so for right. me ecological consciousness is very important because every time i see a tree cut down and as i was a communicator and i can still read what plants and animals have to say I understand this even more deeply because I would say that not every person who is born and brought up in nature has that kind of an ecological consciousness. So I have seen people who live in beautiful spaces uh, in forest lands, around lakes, but they don't have that sensitivity to protect it, to nurture it or even do something for that field. So it's something which has to be inculcated in them. And that comes from early childhood teachers, from parents, from caregivers. And that's how uh, I feel ecological consciousness develops. And being a communicator, I was able to find out a lot more about trees and, you know, how... uh, how trees are so important to us that and just listening to them i come to know that trees very forgiving very uh, magnificent and magnificent in the uh, true ways very magnanimous and these are some things we need to learn from nature there are a lot of things we need to learn from nature that's really interesting the very fact that you said that it is important for it to be inculcated is very very important because I don't even as parents I never imagined that there is such a there's a deeper thought into having to do a nature's work with your child right it is about touching those leaves it is about figuring out what the sand feels like in your hand it's also about looking at the plants and probably you know figuring out if they're if if they're doing okay if they need a little more water you know because right outside the house uh, that I stay in at the moment, we have a big garden. 
and um, my daughter's permanently outside in the mornings, at least till the sun is up and about. And she's there for about a, a good one hour. And I can see that she wants to explore as well. I think it's about inculcating the right things so that you look at it in a, in a different lens as opposed to it being just, you know, just another thing that's part of your life. And the system sort of does doesn't exist in your head, right? So you can't necessarily blame people for not being ecologically conscious in that sense. So on that note, uh, your recently launched book, which was Tales from the Treehouse, is a rendition of this belief system of yours, uh, Sarah. So why don't you tell me a little bit about, one, how you came up with the idea and why the need for you to be putting it down on paper, right? Because if you're a person who believes that it's important for children to see and learn and you'd rather do it in a forest as opposed to doing it through a book, uh, how did the storytelling aspect from in terms of creating a book of stories instead come about for you? So I had certain dreams as a child. There were a few things that I wanted to do. I wanted to become a teacher and I wanted to become an author. So I think doing what I am doing, I fulfill both of my dreams. Um, how Tales from the Treehouse came about is I was sitting in my garden. It was a winter afternoon and we're sitting in the garden, uh, sunning ourselves so the sun had just gone off the garden. It goes at around 2.30, it goes out. So you have to get up from the garden because it starts getting cooler. So I got up from my garden and I went and sat in the veranda. So for, I think, about another half an hour, the sun comes into the veranda. So I shift with the sun. So I was sitting <laughs> So I was sitting um, in the veranda on this couch and I was looking out. So I started penning down a story. There was a tree in front of me. And uh, that time the tree had lost all its leaves. The leaves were lying on the ground and I was looking at it and I started writing the story down. And in about 15 minutes, the story was complete. So I was like, all right. So here was my first story, my first book. And I had decided that, okay, this is the story for my first book. And uh, that very afternoon, I have a friend who is an illustrator and I told him, why don't you draw for me? See, I've written the story, uh, draw my drawings for me. And he was like, it's, I have never done something like this before. I don't think I can because he's a, he's more of a black and white artist. He was very reluctant and uh, he didn't start drawing for another six, seven months. So it took a very long time from December 20 to uh, February 2023 when it actually got published. And uh, so I think the drawings were complete by December last year. And that's when I actually got into publishing the publishing process. It's a self-published book. So uh, I submitted all the illustrations. Meanwhile, in the two years, I kept on building on the story. So I would revisit it after, you know, a few months. And um, I would just look at it to see how I could, you know, make it more understandable for children, add the right adjectives, because the first one was probably just, a, you know, like a skeleton. And I thought, okay, this was it. But then every time I revisited it, I thought I could add a little more. So I, and in the last edit, what I did was I added dialogues. And I also added a little bit of a rhyme scheme to the dialogues, a little bit of repetition, because by then I had attended a few workshops of how to write stories. So what are the things that children would like? What are the things that they would remember? So 
every time the saptapani lost its hair a little more of its hair it would say oh poor me i have lost more of my hair i see so you know it's the rhyme scheme and that would progressively get you know like oh poor me i have gotten bald i see and because it's a self published book it had to have at least 50 pages and so i decided okay let's write another story because this was coming to 25 and when i started writing the other story it was about underground root systems and how the underground you know uh, trees become friends through their roots and how they pass on nutrients minerals uh, through their roots and i did not know that this was a real phenomena so it right. was only after i read this book called the mother tree that was also i think just within a month of writing the story i came mm-hmm. to know that oh this is actually true so apart from the stories there are a lot of activities for children to become ecologically conscious or become conscious in terms of feelings and emotions as well because that is also important for children correct so correct. it's something as simple as because there's the mention of a mango tree so you know just go around and ask your parents which mango they buy because in every uh, location of india the mangoes are very different so Correct. i may have a langda or i may have a rajapuri somewhere there's a ratnagiri and uh, at my grandmother's place she has a mango called chosa so these are things that children can learn you know about their own surroundings what kind of a neem leaf is put something from a neem family is put into your food and mm-hmm. that would be a curry leaf so uh, these kind of questions are there which engage the children about learning um, for learning about their environment and uh, so that's how my thought of you know going to the forest and reading both of them should have similar experiences of course doing it physically has a lot more benefits but reading should also give you those benefits because reading in itself is a very good activity for children Absolutely. so why not yeah. make the reading worthwhile for children so that was the idea behind tales from the tree house and i have a couple of more books which are in the pipeline but all on nature so this is what i decided that all my stories would be based on nature so simple concepts like you know stray animals like uh, the other book i have is on rhinoceros poaching so mm-hmm. you can teach these topics to children so uh, because you asked me you know how you would relate ecology to something like a book uh, i have a lot of complex concepts like these ocean cleanup plastic all of that coming in books which would be very helpful for children so when they actually go and see these kind of things they have that schema in their mind already that you know yes this exists and maybe i could do something about it at a small scale or a large scale whatever then that's up to them so it's it's just not about uh not about imagination running amok but i think it's also about bringing in that reality because that check the reality check is very very critical and the very fact that it is okay for you to tell your children some of these complex concepts and the very fact that you make them aware of something like this because i think they are very very sensitive as they are younger and that they can bring in that sensitivity and you're able to sort of enhance that en- that sensitivity in that sense right by saying the right things to them and making them farmer conscious on that note sara writing stories is very very different from telling those stories right because telling a story is you know you're just you're you are sort of you know acting on that story in that sense so it brings in that feeling that evocative feeling of you know being involved because not many people read today right for i for instance i love reading and like i said my grandmother was my storyteller and she also taught me how to how to read 
and so a lot of my reading habit came in from her right but you know it it is very different being a storyteller and also being a writer rather than an author at the same time so and i can see that you're also sort of making a very conscious effort towards sort of passing this on to caregivers and parents as well you know as part of your offerings as sarah stories now tell me why you think that's very important because i think as caregivers it is also very important for parents to really understand that it starts at home all of it does not lay with the responsibility of the school or the teacher for that matter so when you're writing a story and when you're telling a story it's very different um when you tell a story the story tends to come alive through whatever means that you're using its puppets whether it's voice modulation the book can also act as a guide because it's a picture book so you can also show pictures and you know tell the story in your own way so the book that i have written is not only for children it's also for parents to read it's also for teachers to read and you know tell the story so that way writing and telling the story may come together as well it is a different experience you know because you have to write the story in a way that you would tell the story because when you're telling a story you're using a lot of cues in the social environment you know how uh, how children are responding and probably if children are getting sleepy and i'm talking about a lion i would actually go and roar at a child so yeah. even the child would be like okay what just happened and the child would just wake up so when yeah. you're telling a story you can do all of these things when you're writing a story it's kind of a fixed thing so i think with all the dialogues and all the scenes that i created later on i was more able to tell the story through the writing and mm-hmm. uh, i just wanted something to be on paper as a guide for parents and teachers and for children themselves to you know see that okay there is something like this there is something called ecology there is something called trees and trees have feelings so both of them serve different purposes of yeah. a storytelling session it's more of a fun and a lively event and reading when you read something it tends to stay on in your mind and you begin to think about it so i think that was the purpose of the two of them and yes it's very important for parents to do this even something like reading you cannot give a book to a child and tell them to read and you're doing something else maybe watching the phone or something like that it's not necessary that um, it's the it's a children's book that you're reading with them you can mm-hmm. read your own book and give them a book for themselves and you know you can see a difference they have something to see that okay my role model is also reading so maybe it yeah. could be a good habit because children really want to do what adults are doing they are so intrigued by it they really want to learn what adults are doing so if right. if all of these good things that we are giving attention to i think that would be very good for children and that's something adults have to do consciously because it's become so unconscious in us to use our phone when we are not doing anything we are scrolling on instagram or anything we are watching videos it's become a kind of a time pass for us it's become our source of entertainment so it has yeah. to be a very conscious step that we step away from it at least in the early years of the child so that the child looks at us and thinks of us as role models rather than you know okay just taking whatever the adult is doing and even i'll do it unconsciously right so in fact you touched upon my last question the very fact that what do you think needs to change uh you know in in our mindset for a thought process like this to become mainstream sara because 
I think one of the things that you exactly said right now, and I think I'm also thinking of this from parents' perspective, right? Because I'm a parent now. The very fact that there are times when you just need to take a break. You just can't. You just can't deal with everything that's happening around you. So you end up giving the child some screen time so that you could just have some breathing space, for instance. But of course, over a period of time, it does become become a pattern, and you got to you know you got to physically stop yourself from doing it once in a while. It becomes very difficult because you're. they technically sort of just pulled in different directions right but like you rightly said the very fact that there are those small little steps that you have to be very conscious about for you to be able to take a step back and sort of say that hey you know what i need to sit with the child away from my phone read with the child i think at the at the most basic level and i think that's one of the habits that parents do want their children to pick up uh, as well because like you rightly said it's something that sort of just you know stays with you forever and ever i still remember some of the stories that i've read when i was a child for instance so i understand the power of it but that thought process is not mainstream because of the other you know the the chaos that happens in your daily life otherwise but what do you believe needs to change in terms of a mindset for for something like this to become far more mainstream than it is at the moment so you see stories have a great power children remember some constructive solutions and uh, they would apply it in their lives when the need arises stories are cultural scripts basically what is happening these days is that um, you know parents are saying that why should i you know tell stories of gods why should i tell stories of epics to children it would make them dogmatic they'll be very stringent in their beliefs why should i say something like ramayan okay this uh, lady was kidnapped by another king and you know it's it's a very jarring idea to put forth to a child why would yeah. i talk about the vastraharan in uh, mahabharat to a child and yeah. why would i tell these stories and gods really who believes in gods these days why would you tell the story of shiva or ganesha to your children because this is a globalized world what if my child goes to america or europe and later on wants to settle down there and is mm-hmm. going to go with all of these ideas the thing is that we've misinterpreted what globalization is globalization is not that you know we all become same and we all land up in a particular space globalization mm-hmm. is taking your culture to the world level you know if i'm moving from india to us or europe or australia i need to retain my culture and take it there with me that's how this diversity the ideas of inclusion that we are fighting for these days you know in india right. we have a lot of these topics coming out diversity inclusion we are talking so much about them and we ourselves are cutting us away from our culture and trying to get included that's that's really not going to work we have to retain parts of our culture which are very good and we need to take them to the world we need to show them what our culture is because it's not all bad you know even the ideas of you know uh, gender equality the culture in itself was very good it was after the invasion started that we had to protect women and from that note these ideas of okay women are a burden started coming over the culture originally was very rich in education was very rich for uh, you know child development it was a very happy place it actually mm. fulfilled this principle of uh, there has to be a village to raise a child where everybody was you know living together 
and contributing in child development. If I didn't have food today, probably my neighbor would, and they wouldn't even mind if I went into the kitchen and ate something. But yeah. today that is not the case. So there have been some things that have changed, but these are things we need to revisit as adults, as caregivers. We need to revisit these things and try to bring them back in at least some way, you know, provide safe communities for children, a group of friends, Obviously, we can't go back to villages. The world has changed and we need to respect modernity. We need to respect globalization. But there are things that we can do in our small little world that we are living in, in our nuclear families, um, which have come away from joint families. Even at that time, joint families were not a norm. They were present, but they were not a norm. This is something that you misunderstand again. So... All of these things can be done in a small way for children just to show that we actually care, just to show that, you know, there are things that we uh, bring forward to children. And this concept of wisdom bridge. So this is something uh, my Heartfulness Guide has written a book called The Wisdom Bridge. So the connection of culture actually comes from grandparents because they are the life transmitters of culture. Adults, the elders in our culture. How uh, these people impact our life and how we should actually you know try to maintain some kind of a contact with them even if we don't have our you know grandparents maybe some other adults some other elders who can tell us things about our own culture because children are interested to know who we are where we come from they are very interested and they don't form dogmatic beliefs at all i have grown up on a diet of you know all these stories of gods ramayana mahabharat countless times i have uh, you know, learn them. And I don't subscribe to any, you know, Christian philosophy, Hindu philosophy. I don't, uh, I don't believe that, okay, this is the only way. It's, I take up the good parts of all the cultures and I think, okay, this is something that we could do. No religion is going to ever say anything bad about anybody. So Correct. all the religions have something good to offer us and all of them say the same thing in different languages, in different ways. 